you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. We will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast Ventress. This is a rewatch podcast for Person Ventress, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? Uh, I am well. We have some banger episodes to record tonight. I'm highly caffeinated, and uh, yeah, uh, I may have slept through a couple of hours of work today, so feeling good. Yeah. I just, I am, I literally woke up 15 minutes ago. So, um, you know, we're, 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 I'm cooking this completely ungaffeinated. So we're going to see how this goes over, over the next hour and a half or whatever. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that you think it's going to take us 90 minutes to do these four episodes. <laughs> I said, or whatever. Yes. I'm, I'm doing pretty well as well. Um, Excellent. Yeah. And Zathras should be happy because we are not talking for five minutes about being sick. So, you know, there's that going no, for us. But something that we should talk about, I'm just going to do this because because Zathras can't cut it, is that Zathras, a.k.a. Aaron, is uh, doing or is a contributing writer to the upcoming season of uh, Breathing Space, which is a sci-fi audio drama podcast. Done by friend of the show, Scott Paladin, yes. as well. Noted uh, uh, bread apostate, I guess, is the best word that I can come up with. <laughs> Scott Paladin. Also, uh, listeners, if you like our audio quality, then literally just thank Scott. Yes. Yeah. Scott has listened. I mean, also Aaron. Also Aaron. Aaron, yeah. does the, Aaron does the software, but Scott is responsible for the hardware. Yeah. Scott li- literally listened to our episodes and then, and then told me, buy this mic, buy one of these three audio thingies i don't even know what it's called he just told he sent me amazon links and said pick and choose from these three columns and you'll sound you'll sound good so uh thank you scott for making our audio sound good at a reasonable price point yeah yes yes so yeah listen to listen to breathing space a sci-fi western audio anthology in its third season you'll uh aaron aaron did some good stuff good stuff he has been like occasionally just he, he's been really overworking himself with how much he's been like contributing to other, to all of this stuff but yeah he's done he's done good stuff you should listen to it we normally don't like you know we normally don't actually talk about aaron a lot here but like you know aside from dunking this. yeah i mean aaron's I'm, the one who keeps all this running yeah and i i want to plug his projects because he does good work agreed and from from everything I've you know heard and uh, read from the scripts, the they're going to be pretty banger episodes. Yeah, but we are not here to discuss another podcast tonight. Instead, we are here to record our own. <laughs> we are covering this is our penultimate episode of season three, which I don't know if there is a word for third to last and fourth to last, but 
that's what we're doing tonight. That's right. We are covering episodes 20 and 21 of season three, Death Benefit and Beta. The season three, the end of season three is so good. And these are such good episodes. Our first episode is episode 320, Death Benefit, written by Eric Mountain and Lucas O'Connor, directed by Richard J. Lewis. Our number this week uh, is a continuation as the team is following Roger McCourt, a representative from Illinois, a pivotal member of the Rules Committee. What does the Rules Committee do? They have magic that lets them choose which bills go through Congress. I don't pretend to understand parliamentary or congressional procedure. Uh, Those things are evils that I choose not to understand. (laughs) (laughs) Look, there's a lot of kinds of black magic that I'm interested in, but legislature is not one of them. Yeah, as as I have said, um, I am not interested in well-constructed and rules-based magic systems that includes legal proceedings. Uh, point. I, I would like to object to the description of legal proceedings as well-constructed. I mean, they, 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 have, a, they have a well-documented and formulated uh, magic system, so overruled. I would point to the current debt crisis as... Uh, that is not legal proceedings. That is, in fact, the go- that is in fact governance. Legislative proceedings. All right. Well, we'll take mm-hmm. this offline. <laughs> welcome, welcome to our new podcast where we discuss: Is the legislature a badly designed <laughs> magic system? Your- yeah, I mean, there, there's when you when you base when you base your currency on the fact that you are in debt. Well, that's a whole other thing. But we're when John questions who's now handling the relevant numbers, Root shows up kidnap Shaw like not kidnap but like says hey babe you want to go to Alaska and kill some people it's called a it's called a date and it's important yeah. for any relationship um so McCourt is a privacy advocate so vigilance does seem off the table to get the Capitol Police away from McCourt John shoots at him and takes the place of a secret service agent on detail to McCourt this is honestly one of John's better thought out plans yeah. yeah, you have to admire the, this is, you could tell that this is John CIA training coming up, where it's just like, improvise, put yourself into the, like, insert yourself into the the world of your, of your target, and then infiltrate. Because it's clearly not his machine team skill set, which is shoot knees, hit with truck, repeat. Um, Uncle Nolan, meanwhile, is meeting with Senator Garrison, the per- the senator who's been working with control, and he offers him a solution to his Northern Lights problem. Finch is able to find that Decima has taken an interest in McCourt, and Decima tells John's partner on his detail that he's not a real Secret Service agent. John, in a wonderful show of thinking this through, kidnaps McCourt. <laughs> Decima attacks, and while trying to heat off gunmen, Shaw shows back up. They take McCourt and a captured Decima agent to a house where the Decima agent reveals that they were ordered to protect McCourt. McCourt, after some threats about his stock portfolio, reveals that he is in fact supporting legislation for Decima's new surveillance program. The team discusses, and it doesn't appear that McCourt is a perpetrator or even really a victim. Instead, John theorizes that McCourt's McCourt's number came up as the machine wants them to kill McCourt. The team argues with Finch believing that there must be another way. McCourt refuses to withdraw his support, and as police close in, they continue to argue. Harold refuses to support this line of action and says he cannot support the machine if it is telling them to kill. In the end, they leave McCourt alive to be rescued by SWAT. 
After the attack, Greer convinces Senator Garrison to let them have a test run of Samaritan for 24 hours in New York to find a terrorist. McCourt calls Garrison and tells him they'll have no problem passing support for Samaritan. The beta starts and gives Samaritan its first target, Harold Finch. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, indeed. This is such a... It's action-packed. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I have such a fond recollection of when this episode aired of the argument of the, they're standing around while poor McCourt is just sitting there on the couch, like confused as fuck, trying to like follow this argument mm-hmm. while they're like arguing about whether they should kill him. And he's just like not at all following the argument that's being uh, being had over his head. He's so blasé about being kidnapped, too. He's just like. So how much cash do you want? Like, let's yeah. let's do this. Yeah. And I do think it is interesting how, like, once they come to the realization of, like, oh, no, you are you are actually, in fact, supporting this. OK, we've figured out what the problem is. Like, Harold is like, OK, you've got to stop this. You know, I thought you were a privacy advocate. And in the most freaking, like, 2013, 2014 asshole legislator things like well a private corporation can be trusted with it because the government can't by god yeah yeah (laughs) oh that's so oh wow yeah and that's gonna get even worse in the next episode uh yeah god it's so bad yeah i mean i mean it's it's good writing but it's like horrifying yeah no it's (laughs) (laughs) because it's it's far too real and then when like he like he doesn't back down Harold is just like, how much money do you want? Yeah. Right. To stop. No, it's 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 a fascinating episode to me because it illustrates exactly how like it, it shows where the machine meets the government in a really greasy way. Mm-hmm. Where you have this this politician that is aware of what's going on and doesn't care in ways that Harold can't buy. And on the flip side, it's sorry. My my thought is 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 refining as I'm <laughs> saying it out loud. You have Harold's morals and this politician's morals, and as a consequence, n- there's no solution there because it's it, it's a it's a it's a it's an immovable f- object versus the unstoppable force situation because they yeah. can't buy their way out. There's no amount of money that Harold can throw at this guy that's going to get him out of it. And Harold can't countenance doing what Shaw and Reese did for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and like McCourt is, I might be, I might be like, he might be a, you know, unprincipled grease ball, but he sticks to the deals he's made. Yeah. It's like, wow, of all the things to like take a you know, yeah. put your line in the sand on. Yeah. What yeah. a hill to die on. Because like Harold would have handed him. God knows how much money. Like Harold would have handed him, yeah, mm-hmm. I, probably not his entire fortune, but maybe his entire fortune. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating to me that like Harold can see that there's a direct line from this guy to Samaritan happening, and he still won't cross that line into killing this guy. Oh, and it's it's fascinating too because Shaw and Reese both are like, you know, well, it's not like we both haven't done this before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, oh, and man. there's like, the line of, what do you think happened when the machine gave the government a terrorist number? Right. Right. And like, 
this is this is a fascinating episode for Harold because like this is his first relevant number, right? Yeah. That's what it boils down to is that this is a relevant number and he's being forced to reckon with like that he's been he's being given the number of somebody who is a threat to yeah. I mean, national security. He was given a he was given an irrelevant number or he was given an irrelevant number which was the target of a relevant number before. Right. In the flashback episode. Yeah. Right. I I I part of it is over the next four episodes we are going to see that like the 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 sort of closing theme of this season is Harold having to live with the with the real life consequences of what the machine does. Yeah. Um yeah. In a way that I I'm not sure whether I think it was because he not because he didn't want to realize them, but I think that at some point to rationalize creating the machine and remain like something of a good person, there are parts you just have to block out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and it's the thing where like I think as far as he's concerned, the machine is ethical, but like he doesn't it it's like never factored into him that like the things that the government would do with it would in fact be unethical, even if all all it gives them is a number. Yeah. Yeah. Harold's a fascinating character because he is himself he has this moral this moral code that he's that he ascribes to very deeply and he's a, a an, an incredibly intelligent person but also he's a fucking idiot because he <laughs> deeply deludes himself about what he's doing and why he's doing it and the nature of this thing he's made and what the mm-hmm. consequences of that are He's a very complicated character, and I think the show does a fantastic job of letting that complexity breathe because they don't, mm-hmm. they let that evolve. They let you see that complexity unravel as the consequences of his actions happen in real time, so to speak. And so it, yeah. you see that he's, con- as these episodes, as Justin was just saying, as the, the he's forced to reckon with these consequences, you do see him being forced to look into the 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 mirror a little bit and see that like he knew what he was doing mm-hmm. but he chose mm-hmm. not to he he had to make the active choice not to not to look at those consequences yeah yeah i mean yeah harold i think like harold arrived to the most ethical way that he could conceive of creating the machine the only way the machine can operate is like his his theory is that if no if nothing beyond the machine can violate civil liberties then no no civil liberty has been violated which is a deeply <laughs> problematic base to start from yeah yeah um cuz the cuz and we'll talk about this next episode but the idea of if it's a closed system that just generates a number, but nobody knows what that number means. And even if they know what it means, it's, yeah. he fundamentally is ignoring what is the consequence. Like he's basically said, well, my hands are clean because the, the ethics of the surveillance system I've built is clean with yeah. well, ignoring the, ignoring the consequences of that surveillance, which is 
a trail of dead bodies from here to Timbuktu. And and he's ignoring also the human aspect of it, that he might be just handing, he might just, just be, the machine just might just be handing out a number to point to something that, you know, is a little bit weird, but like, that's not going into the hands of people who are like doing their due diligence and like really delving deep into the situation and figuring out like what is happening here. Yeah, I wonder. It's going into the people, it's going into the hands of people who like, you know, look for the easiest pop- possible explanation and like. Yeah, I wonder yeah. How, many, how many relevant numbers got popped because they ran out of time to figure out what the what was going on. And the government made the call that the simplest possible solution was to simply disappear the number and and rather than take the risk that this person was a terrorist and they hadn't figured out what the plot was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the I I think I one thing I appreciate is that this is not particularly an easy question to answer and that that they are not shying away from this, especially now because we've had time to marinate in what the machine is. Yeah, the mm-hmm. show doesn't shy away from the, the 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 difficulties of that question, and Harold doesn't shy away from it either. From here, from this point, like he has increasingly been forced to reckon with that as well, and especially mm-hmm. from this point forward, that is a thing he is forced to look back in, look back into, which I think is one of the really great things one of the things i think that makes finch an all-time great character is how conflicted and complex he is and the fact that they make him nuanced and sympathetic while still making him having him make these dubious choices along the way yeah and i love i love the addition of shaw too because yes. like mm-hmm. john john was working very indirectly off the numbers for some period of time, right? Yeah. Shaw was working directly with the numbers pretty much. Like, you know, yeah. she didn't necessarily get the number and figure out exactly where to go. Like that was, you know, research um and control. But, you know, she she has been hands-on with the machine for a very long time. Yeah. And what I think is interesting is that she is the one like out of, between Reese and her, she's the one who hesitates on the idea of killing him. And she right. says six months ago, I would have like wasted this dude without even thinking about it. And I've sort of gotten used to saving people. I, yeah, that's so, I'm so glad <sighs> you, you clipped out that line because yeah. I, it's such a moment for Shaw and I love it that she has what a growth moment for her. Yeah, there's no hesitation about killing somebody in a combat situation. But like, you know, we've she's come to the point where like this, you know, unarmed, you know, old dude on a couch. She's not willing to shoot him in the head. Yeah, you know? she's yeah. she she's no longer an executioner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, yeah. I think it really is. It's such a great moment for Shaw. I I I part of why I really adore her character is that growth moment that arc that she takes where she has Mm -hmm. come out of being, you know, maybe a little two dimensional initially uh, as this like, you know, cold assassin, female assassin character and is, has shown so much nuance over the, over the episodes. They've really developed what it is that makes her the way she is. And now we're seeing that she's learned from the team and Mm -hmm. 
I think it, it makes it very hard for anyone there to make an argument that he should be killed when the one who has been doing that killing of the relevant numbers for so long is like, mm, maybe not. Yeah. One thing that I, I think it'd be interesting that, that I'd want to discuss here, just because it is relevant, part mm-hmm. of me, um, is that the, is the difference between the machine and Samaritan and how they function. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is, are we, I mean, can we answer that yet? Greer explains, I think, in pretty fine detail the difference between the two in this episode when he's do, when he's making his pitch and i think he's rather truthful about it in fact yeah i i just i guess i just think it's it's you see after beta you see more explicitly yeah. how that works mm-hmm. and especially at the end of the season you get even better uh, an even better picture of what that's going to mm-hmm. look like but yeah i do yeah. I, I suppose I think, that's true i think we should talk about that alongside of like greer's motivations okay yeah we can yeah we can we can save that for when we do that in the finale then or yeah. not not the finale. Um, the season, for the season House Divided. Finale. Yeah, House Divided. Yeah, there were there were a couple of bits I I enjoyed with this episode. The mm-hmm. the first is it starts out with them just like helping out a random number, and I've been really liking those as like cold opens and stuff like that because I think it helps emphasize that it's not that every single number is now related to the mm-hmm. plot. It's just that, I mean, they've got other numbers that they're handling. It's just that all we're seeing yeah. are the ones with the plot. And I think it helps resolve the the kind of potential for seeing imbalance and like, why why is the only type of number they're getting now like related to fucking Decima? Is that yeah. are they the only threat? Is nobody murdering anyone? But I think like having the having the like little pit stops interspersed here and there shows that like they're still they're still active on the main mission that they've had. Mm-hmm. The other the other thing that I uh, that I thought was pretty funny. So when uh, John is in the in a, in that firefight, um, and Shaw turns up with the car and like clips the dude. My first thought was like, oh wow, saved by an saved by a regular DC driver. <laughs> and then I saw it was Shaw. Yeah. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> so the guy who plays uh Congress Congressman McCourt uh is John Hurd. Not John Hurt, but John Hurd, who I was like, I know this guy. I have to know. like he's such a like I recognize his face and not just because I've watched the show so many times. And so I was trying to remember what it was, and I finally found it in 2006 on his IMDb. He played Commander Garner in Battlestar Galactica. Um, is which that is where like, you know him? Yeah, because he, so like yeah, he plays a um, he plays like the fourth commander of the Pegasus in like four episodes. That's where you know him from. Yeah, <laughs> that's not where I know him from. What do you know him from? That's Kevin McAllister's dad. Oh, from Home Alone. <laughs> it's probably wow. been a decade since I've watched Home Alone. So okay, Dude, but it's been. Minimum 20 years since I seen that movie. Minimum. But I that movie that that movie was one of those ones that like I am of the age where that movie was literally on repeat in the holidays for a certain <laughs> period when I was a kid. And I can hear his voice in my head right now shouting Kevin. 
Like he does have a very like distinctive voice. It's a very distinct voice. It's and a very distinctive voice. How many times can, can do you think we can say that before? <laughs> uh, you need to watch Leverage, man. I do need to watch Leverage. I, I have been meaning to. Well, we're calling out. Well, we well we're calling out. Know that face. I we we made a grave error in not calling out a face in most likely to last time we recorded, which was so the the guy who plays. Now I'm forgetting his name, but the 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 second number, the the prosecutor. Yeah. yeah. See, Nestor Carbonell, who folks would know from Lost uh, as Richard Alpert, and also from The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises as the mayor wearing a lot of eyeliner. Oh wow! Oh yeah. Yeah, huh. yeah it's that guy. Oh. He just has really thick eyelashes. I think. Hmm. Like either that or like, but he he just like always looks like he has so much eyeliner on, and it's it's not a bad look. That's funny. <laughs> but it's it's always like the first thing I think of when I see him. Yeah, no, I get that. We got anything else we want to talk about this one? Not for me. Nope. It's a solid episode. Yeah. All right. Uh, next we've got episode twenty-one of season three, Beta, written by. Sean Hennon and Dan Dietz. Dietz always makes me think of Dietz and Watson sandwich meats. It's a very popular brand out here in Ohio. <laughs> I don't know if you guys get it anywhere else. Anyway, uh, directed by Frederick E.O. Toy. Uh, our episode opens after a brief recap with the machine turning on incognito mode. And then we switch over into Samaritan's UI view. Uh, we're going to want to get used to this view. So pay attention to it. It's a very different kind of UI. From it's, machine it's view, very, it's very slick and modern. Yeah, it's you've got a lot of fancy. you've got a lot of menacing triangles. Yes, menacing and it, and triangles, it like, and it's and it like shifts around between cameras like smoothly. It's really, it's really pretty cool. Yeah, and it's and in like and some and so and like on wider shots, it's got a little bit of distortion, like little in the corners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing that bothers me most about it though is that it uses light mode, which I can't get behind. <laughs> um, just this is before every app had a dark mode. The machine's got dark mode. Just yeah, saying. that's because Harold knows UI design. Yeah. <laughs> Harold knows that you don't want to be staring at a at a white screen for 12 hours in a row. Right? Uh, make, that, make that shit dark this so you don't... Part, this is how we know Samaritan is evil. Yes. Yes. Precisely. We get, because Samaritan is there to, like, bleach your, your corneas. Retina. Yeah. As it boots up, we see its dominant mandate, which is to eliminate threats to national security or something to that effect, and its auxiliary mandate, which is to eliminate threats to system survival uh, for the duration of its beta test, which is 24 hours. Uh, the threats to, those, to its survival are, unsurprisingly, the machine team. Finch is the only one it doesn't have a picture of, uh, but he's been MIA since the machine asked him to kill the congressman uh, a week ago now. And Reese and Shaw are getting worried. Uh, there's a very cute scene where Shaw busts up a attempted uh, holdup in a liquor store in a way that is so classy that it's a far cry from how she would have done it in the past. And when she and when she comes out, Reese is like, I would have just shot him in the knee. And she's like, yeah, I know. And it's like, Reese, you're the worst. <laughs> Reese is doing his best to fill in as the leader. Uh, and Shaw is not convinced. Um, they are saved from a decima ambush by Root, 
who grabs Shaw very, very aggressively. Um, she informs them that Samaritan is online, but only in New York. Meanwhile, Greer is showing off Samaritan to the senator, but he doesn't want to give the senator the terrorist that he's promised until he's found Finch. To do so, they have Samaritan profile his closest living relations. The team, meanwhile, as they skulk across New York, avoiding cameras, thanks to Root and the Machine, are interrupted when a phone rings to give them a number, who turns out to be Grace, the relation that Samaritan has tracked down. In flashback, we see Grace as the sole person at Harold's funeral, lamenting no one else is there, and then to the present, where she is preparing to head for the airport for an interview in Italy. Not hard to guess who might be behind that job. Uh, when the driver tries to inject her with something, Reese shows up as Detective Stills and takes her to the police station where Fusco is going to look after. Greer, not amused, uh, orders all agents to kill them. Root gets herself arrested to get in. Reese beats up the FBI agent they send in, and it turns into a standoff after Root cooks the camera, the cameras and sets a bomb off in the next building to cover their escape. I'm going over this very fast. This is a very action-packed episode. <laughs> they try and get away, but they get garbage trucked, and Decima grabs Grace. The team flees to Jersey, out of Decima's currently very small circle of jurisdiction, to try and regroup. Uh, Greer interrogates... Do, I mean, do, does anybody go to Jersey to recoup, though? Like, really? I mean, it's where, I mean, you, go when you, do, it's, it's where you go when you want to lay low, I guess. I guess. I mean, well, between a murderous artificial intelligence and Jersey, it would be the lesser evil by a, a margin. A little bit. Greer interrogates Grace to figure out who she is while the team heads back to the city, to the docks where they think she's being held only to discover a ship full of servers. You can see Root rubbing her hands together like a kid who has discovered where her mom and dad are hiding Christmas presents. Root is informed by the machine that she's supposed to hang out while Shaw and Reese are sent to Brooklyn. Greer eventually is able to figure out Grace, Grace's relationship to Harold, but does not reveal to her that he is still alive. Reese and Shaw show up too late uh, and get Greer as a giant video head offering an exchange of Grace for Harold. They find Harold at Grace's building, and he agrees to the swap for her sake. They set her up with a job in Italy while Greer hands the senator a terrorist. Meanwhile, Root has stolen seven Samaritan servers, and Greer sits down with Harold. So, the moment, that, a they, lot. The moment they are hit with the garbage truck, like, the only way I can describe it is the villain taking the hero's, like, signature move in an anime. And using it yeah. against them. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's it's like, it's the moment where you're just like, oh shit, got real. Oh no. I What a moment. Yeah. There's a couple of things I really love about this episode. Uh, the first is, uh, I believe, and correct me if I'm mistaken, but I believe this is the first time that Fusco calls Root Cocoa Puffs. I believe it is as well. This will be, uh, I don't care if this is a spoiler, this will be a long-running nickname that Fusco has for Root. We've had a couple of other serial-based ones. He likes the serial-based ones, yeah. but this this will be his go-to for Root for, for, the, for the duration of the show. He will call her Cocoa Puffs. I also love that 
not hours. Well, I guess it's one episode later. It's a week later for for Harold. After like drawing a line in the sand, which involves killing, he says to Root, like, if they touch her, fucking murder everyone. Yeah. He yeah, yes. he says he says to he says to John and Shaw, if they harm Grace at all, kill them all. And I'm like, Yeah, okay, sure, sure. I I I believe yeah. in this, like yeah yeah i think this is the like grace as or not not just grace but like harold has a very very small list of people that he will sanction extreme violence for um john being one of them um Mm -hmm. because like Mm -hmm. he was ready to like use a grenade launcher to get john out of prison (laughs) god about that episode yeah oh that's a good one yeah but yeah I, i but i think grace is in particular, like, I think Grace is the only person he's ever been ready to, like, show his show his true self to. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they they threatened her is, I mean, I, I, I legitimately think that if, if they had, if anything had happened to her, he would have, it think it would have gone poorly for them. Yeah. I wonder if part of it is just, like, that he has put, he has lost so much in the not quite sole purpose but like with the primary purpose of keeping her safe mm-hmm. and to have all that be for nothing too has got to just be yeah yeah a lot i it's it's like if you if i'd read it it would it, it, you know it's like oh hey this is a great character moment michael emerson just freaking kills that line and yeah. i mean Michael Emerson is a fantastic villain because he can like he, he obviously we don't get to see him really ever touch on it here. He can switch between the rather harmless, unassuming guy to that like that menacing threat, not not of like a physically imposing, but somebody who is deeply disturbing so well. Yeah. He's not that dissimilar in that way from uh, Colin Tony, another yeah actor on this exact show. Because we see we see the same sort of like flips for Elias. Yeah, is it the end of this episode or the start of the next one where Greer and Harold are talking? They they start to have their conversation. The start they of the next one only. Yeah, it only just starts in this one because like is, that they sit down. and It's like okay, well. We're talking now. Yeah, because there's one moment in that where Harold is like, I appreciate that you kept her blindfolded. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's in this episode. That's at the end of this episode. I thought that was a fascinating moment where he's, he's, what Greer is, he's recognized, he's, it's like a, the two of them are getting ready to duel and Mm -hmm. he's acknowledging that Greer has successfully identified that he doesn't want grace to know he's alive yeah i i think that like we're gonna get like we're gonna learn a lot more about greer in next like when we do our discussion Mm -hmm. for next week's episode but these last like four episodes we get a lot more of character information on him yeah and really i i i I guess this i guess this is around the point maybe that they decided like as they were riding this 
this like four episode season end that they really want that uncle that uncle john was gonna stick around yeah but yeah i mean like he is we're gonna uh, like we're gonna talk about like his history as we go into the next episode but he is at the core someone who still respects people on an individual level when he recognizes them as a match for him like he is mm-hmm. like when we saw him interacting with rude in the subway earlier he is very courteous he does not take the ample opportunity he has to just waste her because i maybe he doesn't consider it sportsmanlike yeah yeah I, it'd be rude yeah um like he has that like even if it even if like it's basically like greer greer has two bubbles that he sees people in there are rubes and equal foes Mm -hmm. i don't even know if it's equal foes so much as it's people with value and people out and people not worthy of his attention because i don't know that he necessarily recognizes that everybody is at his level but i think he 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 sees that some people are some people have like something to add mm-hmm. they're useful they they can be useful to him or they have some they have something going on that make them interesting and valuable and yeah. those are the people he, that are worth talking to and everybody else it's not that he, he he thinks they're trash they're just not he's just got too much going on he just doesn't care they're just right. not worth his attention um, but we can talk more about Greer in the next episode. Uh, I was I was so nervous for Grace oh, during yeah. this whole episode. Yeah. Sometimes when you watch a show, you know that someone will survive. You just know that like, oh, mm-hmm. it's fine. They're going to get through this. This is not one of those episodes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I didn't. I similarly did not have confidence that Grace was going to get out of this episode when I first watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just like and I the scene on the bridge where like there's two there's two things that really just like ooh yeah I love this where Harold says this moment was looking for me and I'm yeah. just like I love that it, yeah it's very poetic but it, it is it's uh, it's it's exactly what he foresaw yeah you know that the writer who wrote this episode uh when. Sean Hennon and Dan Dietz wrote that line. The two of them sat back in their chairs and were just like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. The full line is, from the day the machine went online, part of me knew that I would never be able to sever myself from it and that anyone I'd ever cared about was in danger. It was foolish to imagine otherwise. I tried to garb myself, stay hidden from the government, the authorities, people looking. Here we still are. This moment was inevitable. This moment was always looking for me. It's just such a yeah, such an yeah. elegant p- bit of writing, and he delivers it so well. Yeah, Emer- like Emerson del- delivers it twenty times better than I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the idea that th- that moment is looking for him in the context of this show about surveillance is so just so nicely done. Um, oh fuck, it's so good. <laughs> so and good. then the moment where Grace stumbles on the stumbles. bridge while blindfolded. And Harold catches her and he wants to reflexively say something, 
and he yeah. can't, and he's just dying. He's like breaking inside. I'm just like the fact, <laughs> the fact that they are. You have that moment of like wondering whether she's going to like recognize his touch. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, the fact that they are actually married really adds like mm-hmm. an interesting like I don't know like flavor to this a certain to watching. Yeah. Because you, yeah. N- watching it, you know that there's like an intensity there. You can, you, th- it's just something special there. Knowing that that like that's it's not just a role. It's not just two people acting together. They have that genuine chemistry because these are two people that are married and have have that special relationship that it goes beyond even two actors with a lot of respect for each other. Yeah, that's fantastic. One of the things I really enjoyed with the episode was the the kind of like all the machine versus machine stuff mm-hmm. where they're like hiding from the cameras and stuff like that and like the machine is telling them where the cameras are through yeah. root uh it's very like it's like an elevated version of spy versus spy yeah uh and i real i really enjoyed all of that and um oh, yeah, i'm hoping well. that i'm hoping that we get a bunch of that in season 4 I was just about to say, well, then I've got good news for you because season four is going to be uh, that fun for you then. <laughs> but it it's um you know it's a nice extension of one of the the spy tropes that the show mm-hmm. you know yeah. delves into. It, it's here playing and there. it's playing on the thriller like that. We're we're now in full enemy of the state territory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm. It, it's and yeah, we're. we're and learning that the the machine and Samaritan are playing with the exact same information is interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. really really interesting. The the other thing is that I wanted to mention is that um, I'm not sure whether this was intentional or not. I'd like to think yes. The the set where Greer has Harold, that kind of like empty empty upper floor office building sort of thing uh, really reminds me of the set that they used in the flashbacks for when Harold was developing the machine. Yeah. See, I didn't see I it at the it time. It reminded me of a different set. Interesting. Uh, I, I, I tied up those two and, and really felt like it was going back to like Harold's origins in some way, or like the origins of Harold and the machine. Yeah. I mean, it could, it could be both honestly, because the one it reminds me of is when Harold and Shaw first meet, mm. and I, I'm, and I think it could be, I mean, it could be a, tr- it could be a look at both of them because they both have the same sort of. I part of this is like I, I was talking about it last night of like every office building in New York looks the same, <laughs> especially when you empty, especially when you empty it out. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's yeah, and and like they're it's it's a pretty generic type of set but the the choice to use that sort of set in, instead of like an interrogation room or something like that um it really harkens back to me to the to the conversations that Harold was having with Nathan as they're developing the machine mm-hmm. about like what's the nature of the machine and what what are they doing with it and what are their goals and all of all of those things as we're discussing Samaritan. Yeah. Um oh yeah. and we and oh yeah and like they steal a bunch of Samaritan servers. <laughs> oh yeah. Like I said, I love how excited Root is when she finds them. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. There's very much a little there's a glimmer of old Root in that moment mm-hmm. where she's just like, ooh, chaos. 
like, what can I do with this? Yeah, that's it's not the machine telling her be excited about this. She's excited about it. Yeah, all on her own. Yeah, she's excited about it, and yeah, I I I really like her reaction to that. It's very good. I yeah, what they do with it is fascinating. We'll talk about that in the next episode. Yeah. But do you want to know what gets me excited? A guy, a menacing guy in a room with a bunch of screens giving commands in like menacing faction, menacing fashion, <laughs> and my god. Uncle Jonathan was yeah. made for this role. <laughs> like, he really was. He like he is hamming it up in these scenes where he's like, "I want you to find me." And like that dude takes a like three second pause and he says, "Harold Finch." <laughs> and, yeah, and, it's great. Like, it's th- great. He is chewing the scenery. <laughs> My favorite is when they they arrive at the uh, they they find the the guy who has been like packing up the, the, the yeah. briefcases and they're like, uh, and he says something like that. You're not going to get anything out of Vincent. Are they Vincent? And the, uh, are they Vincent? And Vincent's like, Oh, Oh, right. Yeah. No. And then like kills himself. Um, I immediately in my notes, I was like, what do they do to get these guys loyalty? And I was gratified that they immediately answered the question yeah. Yeah. at the top yeah. of the next episode. It's so it's because like, it's one of those things. Life insurance. It's life insurance. It's so goddamn mundane, but it's like, all right, yeah, that tracks. It's a huge life insurance payout to your dependents. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but I think it is very funny that like they recognize that like, how do you get all these otherwise competent people to behave in this bananas fanatical manner? Well, you you pay them posthumously, but you pay them. Yeah, I mean, it's either you find fanatics or you find great incentives. Yeah. It's like how every tech firm hires. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. I hate it. Yep. Uh, Oh, my God. On that note. Well, on that nihilistic note, let's close this episode. I was going to say, I was going to say, speaking of things that make people excited, um, I, I love... When the machine doesn't have any information and Chow's like, oh, some real spy work. Yeah. I can do real recon. (laughs) It's great. I love that. Yeah. She's so excited. And I'm excited for her. Yeah. All right. We got any last notes? Nope. Nope. So next episode, we're going to be covering our final two episodes of season three, A House Divided and Deus Ex Machina. Until next time. You are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license. Jesse Fry. My friends call me Flash. 
I've been a cook nearly everywhere, from high lunar orbit to long-haul chuck wagons. And the most important thing I've learned? From Mercury to Terminal Station, we all eat. Now I'm traveling all around the system, looking for the best places to eat, drink, and come together. Join me as we find the best ways to spend our Delta V and find the home we carried with us into the black. Delta V Dining, coming this spring to your Redline Terminal.